Heavenly Father, we are here this day with hearts open wide, filled with joy to the brim. We ask that your spirit would be upon us, that those hearts and our ears would be open to what you have to say to us this day. Speak your word into our hearts. Let it be written there forever that we might spend all eternity in your presence. All this we ask in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Merry Christmas, everybody. I am Father Wayne Wimbish. Uh, some of you I know, and some of you are new faces to me, so I felt that introductions were in order. I am the priest and pastor of New Hope Mission Church over in St. Charles County. It's a church that I planted three years ago now, three, be three years first of February, uh, while I was the deacon over at Christ Church Anglican in O'Fallon. Now, you all know Christ Church Anglican because you planted that church nearly 10 years ago. So that makes me and New Hope Mission kind of your granddaughter church. So we got blood. We, we are relatives. I am second generation now from your church planning efforts. Our mission, the mission part of our name, is to bring the church to people who can't get out to go to church. And so... We have gone into some senior centers, some assisted living facilities, where people are housebound, where they can't get out to go to the churches that they used to go to. Because we have found that people who are in those situations and have been cut off from their family, they've been cut off from their friends, they've been cut off from their church, it's very easy for them to lose hope. And so our mission is to bring new hope to that community. And we're not just somebody that goes there on a weekday and plays church with them and then goes away and, and they never hear from us again. But we are there to form a congregation. And they are a church as much as you are a church. They just happen to live in their building where they worship. And I'm the one that does the traveling on the days of worship. Uh, they get to just walk out of the dining room and into the into the foyer and prepare for worship, and I put about 200 miles a week on the car. Uh, but they are a congregation, and we are in three centers now. We're in one in Harvester, one out in Wentzville, and one downtown at Missouri and Cherokee, but we are all one church. We are all New Hope Mission Church. That is the connection that we have together. Uh, they worship, I travel. Uh, as a matter of fact, I have kind of adopted the, the motto have chalice, will travel. <laughs> For any of you who remember Paladin, I'm kind of the, the modern day version. Uh, and what I have just done here is I have introduced myself to you and told you some things that I wanted you to know. That's what an introduction it is. It's what uh, you tell someone that you want them to know about you. Uh, and what did I share with you here? I shared you, with you my name. Uh, you found out that I'm ordained. You probably could have guessed that. You found out that I'm a pastor of a church. Told you about the church and what their mission is. And I told you what the connection was to you. How you are now grandparents, as it were. And the grandbaby is doing fine. Uh, we probably have at least 50 people a week in worship now and in Bible study. 
three services, three Bible studies a week. So it keeps me hopping. What did I not tell you about myself? Well, I didn't tell you how old I was. I didn't tell you my home address. I didn't uh, share with you where I grew up or what high school I went to. That's a St. Louis thing. I didn't tell you about my family or my grandchildren, but I do have pictures for anybody who wants to see them after church. <laughs> not that I'm hiding this info, but it's just not what I thought was most important to share with you in my introduction. See, that's what introductions are, the things that you really want the other person to know. Uh, I'll share with you a couple of other introductions that you're probably familiar with. One goes like this, as, as one person is speaking to the other person, he says, Luke, I am your father. He wanted Luke to know that there was blood between them, that there was a father and son relationship that could have been. We know how that turns out. Uh, if you've watched all the movies, you know that finally uh, Darth does come around at the end of the, th of the now sixth movie. Yeah. Uh, there was a, uh, what do you call it, one of these all-day marathons uh, just the other day, and so I got very familiar with this one. It says, hello. My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Now he wanted the six-fingered man to know that there had been a wrong in his life when he was a young boy. He had left a couple of scars on his cheek. And he was there for revenge. And he wanted that man to know it. So he told him his name and he told him the purpose for why he was there. Think about it. What kinds of things do you include in your introductions when you introduce yourself to someone that you don't know? What kinds of things do you include in your introduction when you're introducing someone else to someone that they don't know? You see, when you are telling the story about someone to someone else, it quite likely depends on who you're talking to what the situation is, and what is most important in those two circumstances as to what you tell someone when you're greeting them. Now, our Gospels all have introductions. They all have things that the writers wanted their readers to know as they began their stories. Uh, if you have a Bible handy and you want to follow along, that's okay. I'm going to go to... Well, the start of the book of Mark, and we're going to look at what Mark has to say about what he writes. In Mark chapter 1, it says, The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mark wants you to know who it's about. He wants you to know that it's about Jesus. But he wants you to know, by stating Jesus Christ, that Jesus is the Messiah. That is what this is about. Jesus is the Messiah. And that not only that, Jesus has a relationship with God, that he is the Son of God. And that this is a gospel. This is a good tale. That's what the old English word gospel means. This is a good story about Jesus, who was Messiah, who was the Son of God. And so Mark begins the story by reciting the prophecy from Isaiah. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will repair your way, a voice of one calling in the desert, 
Prepare the way for the Lord and make straight paths for him. So Mark immediately wants to connect Jewish prophecy to this good story that's to come about Jesus the Messiah. How about Matthew? What does he say? We turn over to Matthew chapter 1. The first thing he says, it says, This is a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then from Abraham all the way to Jesus, he goes all the way through his genealogy. Now Matthew makes a claim in the, in the first sentence there that this is about Jesus, the Messiah, who was the son of David and the son of Abraham. So he wants to make the claim that Jesus is the Messiah, and he wants to back that up by showing the legal path to, that one would need to have to claim Messiahship, namely that you have to be a son of David. You have to be one of David's royal line to be the Messiah. And so that's where Matthew wants to go. Matthew is making this claim to a Jewish audience, uh, and he begins with the birth story of Jesus Christ so that he can show that there is legal connection to David through Joseph and that there is prophetic connection through Mary to Isaiah because the angel comes and announces that this child will be from the Lord. This will fulfill what the Lord has said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel. So Matthew makes this case on ancestry that Jesus has the right to be the Messiah. That's how he introduces his story. Now Luke. Luke is the only one of the gospel writers who's not Jewish. Uh, and he actually has a two-parter here. He's got the book of Luke and the book of Acts. And Luke accounts for about 25% of all the New Testament. He says, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of all the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also for me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Theophilus is a Greek name, and so Luke, uh, writing to him, wants to verify several things. He wants to show that he has carefully investigated these claims. He is presenting an orderly account, and it's for the purpose of demonstrating to Theophilus and the rest of us the certainty of what they've been told through oral tradition, oral history, all the stories of Jesus. Luke is there to back it up with a concrete record. He begins with the birth story of John the Baptist to show that even John the Baptist was connected to the prophets. And then he continues with Mary's story, with the Annunciation, the birth story, the shepherds, the angels, the presentation at the temple, and then proceeds from there on to Jesus' ministry. 
Luke is being thorough. He's covering all the bases. He is a historian of his day. He's not the same as a historian of our day, but he is providing very verifiable details that back up all the stories that Theophilus has been told. That is Luke's purpose. And he traces the lineage of Jesus as, as Matthew does. He traces Jesus all the way back from David to Abraham and clear to Adam. It's important to show that Jesus is not just the Messiah of the Jewish people, but having his lineage traced all the way back to Adam, that he can be representative of all of humanity, that he's a Messiah for all of us. John is a horse of a different color. John's gospel stands apart from Matthew and Mark and Luke in the way that he presents what he does. Now, John tells us exactly why he is writing what he does, but he does it unusually at the end of his book. If we go back over to John chapter 20, the last verse says, These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, Jesus is the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in Him. At the end of the next chapter, he says that Jesus did many other things as well, and if every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world might not have enough room for the books that would be written. But he has a specific purpose here in writing what he does. One, he wants us to know that Jesus is the Messiah. Two, he wants us to know that he's the Son of God. And three, he wants us to know that we can have life in his name. Now, as we go through John's introduction, which is the subject that we're going to talk about today, we want to keep that purpose in mind because it drives what he has to say. He doesn't want to just show that Jesus is descended from David. He doesn't want to just show that he can trace his ancestry back to Abraham or to Adam, but he wants to prove that Jesus is the Son of God, a bit higher standard. Now, Matthew is speaking to a Jewish audience, and so Jesus' lineage back to Abraham is important. Luke is speaking to a Greek audience, and so showing that Jesus is able to stand in for all of humanity is important to him. But John's gospel emphasizes Jesus' eternal nature and his deity above the way the others do. Now, they all come to the same place, but they all do it in a different manner. John goes all the way back to the beginning. He goes all the way back to the divine logos, the divine word, when he makes his introduction. He says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. John invokes Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created. He wants you to make that connection. He wants you to know that the Word was there at the beginning, that He's not something that got created along the way. Uh, I've had a couple of run-ins over this last week with some uh, some disciples, uh, some uh, missionaries from Jehovah's Witnesses. They've come and knocked on my door, and they, they greeted me very warmly with Merry Christmas, and, 
And then I said, you do realize that I'm an Anglican priest, right? And they go, oh, that's okay. Would you like to know the truth? <laughs> I said, how about you? I said, you all uh, have a thing about Jesus Christ, right? You don't believe that he's God? They go, yeah, we believe he's the son of God. I said, well, let's turn in your Bible. Let's not just turn in my Bible because they don't trust my translation. But let's turn in your Bible to John 1, verse 3. And see what it says. It says, Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Have you ever wanted to be able to prove to a Jehovah Witness that Jesus was God? Well, here's something you can do on the back of a napkin or on your six-panel door on the front porch. You just say to them, All right, here's what I want you to do. I want you to think of this box as being everything that is in existence. Everything that exists is inside this big box. And we're going to draw a line down the middle of this box and we're going to divide it into two halves. On this side over here, we're going to say, this box contains everything that was never created. And this side over here, we're going to put all created things. Which one of those boxes would you put God in? Now, the Jehovah Witness would certainly put God over here in the not-created box. But then you ask him, which box would you put Jesus in? And they would want to put him over here in the created being side. And I said, your Bible says in verse 3 here, that through the word all things were made, and without him nothing that was made has been made. Unless Jesus has the ability to create himself, he can't go in the created beings box because he is the author of creation. And therefore, the only option left to you is to put him over here in the box with God and identify him as God. Try that next time one comes to your door. See how it works out for you. I will bet you two cents they're not persuaded. But... The text is without question that Jesus, through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. John goes on, he says, In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Actually, the Greek says that the darkness has not overcome it. There's this aspect of wrestling with God that... Uh, the people in darkness have. that They are trying to overcome the light that is being shown into their lives that reveals to them the depths that are, of their depravity. Then John ties in the prophetic connection. He says, There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light. So that through him, and not through John, but through Jesus, that all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world. He had come into this world. And though the world was made from him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that creation that was his own, but the creation did not receive him. But not everybody. Some 
received him, and to those that received him, to those that believed in his name, he gave the right to be called children of God. There are many out there would tell you that all of creation, that all of humanity are God's children. But what John says here is that only those who believe in his name have the right to be called children of God. Children born not of natural descent, children not born of human decision or of husband's will, but children that are born of God. John is already laying the foundation for what he's going to share in the Nicodemus story in chapter 3. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Some say that Jesus could have just appeared, but we know from this that Jesus took on human flesh, human body. He retained his rights as being fully God, but he also became fully human in order to do the things that the rest of us could not do as human beings, in order to be able to go to the cross for us and be sacrificed as a perfect offering for our iniquities. John testifies that we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who comes from the Father, full of grace and truth. Peter, James, and John were the ones who went up on the Mount of Transfiguration and saw Jesus reveal himself as to who he truly was. John says we've seen that glory. John the Baptist testifies about him. He says, he cries out, This is of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. He's not saying that Jesus is older than he was. In fact, John the Baptist was six months older than his cousin Jesus. But Jesus was from the beginning. Jesus was there as the word of God when God spoke that word and said, let there be light. It was Jesus who brought that light forth. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. How many of you know the difference between grace and mercy? What's mercy? Mercy is not getting what we deserve. And thank you, God, that you are merciful, that we don't get what we deserve, because we deserve some pretty bad stuff called death. But grace is getting something that you don't deserve. Not only were we spared death by what Jesus did on the cross, but we were given the opportunity by believing in him to share eternity in God's presence. God gives us actually what we desire in the bottom of our heart. We don't want to be with him for eternity. He doesn't make us. He has a special place set aside for those who don't want to be with him. It's a little warm there. But for those who believe in his name, for those who trust in the grace that he has given through his son, he has prepared a place for us for all eternity to be with him, to sing his praises 
and to give him glory. The word indeed became flesh. It dwelt among us. It tabernacled with us. It was prior to all things. It was the giver of grace and truth. And that word is Jesus Christ. John's introduction, as we said, was for a different reason and a different purpose than the other Gospels. John wants us to know who Jesus is in his fullness. And he wastes no time getting to that point. In the beginning was the Word, directly comparing and recalling Genesis 1. His introduction can be divided up in four parts if you want to, like four verses of a hymn. The first verse is the Word is the preexistent God. The Greek actually says that the Word was with God and God was the Word. We've turned the word order around to make it read in English, but it says God was the Word. The Word was the creating aspect of God. The Word was rejected by His creation, but not everyone. And those of us who have believed on His name have become children of God. The Word became totally human as well as fully God and dwelt among us. And the Word was Jesus Christ. So having connected and identified Jesus as the pre-existent creator God, come into this world, John's Gospel will tell the story of Jesus in the, in the means to support those claims. This is his introduction. These are his claim statements, and now he's going to spend the rest of his gospel supporting that. And so in John's gospel, you will find him reporting Jesus saying, I am, which directly recalls what God said to Moses at the burning bush when, God, when Moses said, who are you? Who should I tell them sent me? He says, I am that I am. Jesus says that seven times in John's gospel, making the claim directly that he is God. And the, the Jews re, uh, respond directly to that, understanding what he says. John reports seven miracles of Jesus that confirm his deity. He does things that only God can do. He forgives sins. Only God can do that. He walks on water. He controls nature. Only God can do that. John's purpose is to reveal Jesus as the Messiah and as the Son of God so that others might believe and have life. That is the point of John's gospel is that we might come to faith, that we might believe, so that we might have life. This section here, John 1, 1 to 18, is probably the most eloquent and the most to-the-point introduction of Jesus that has ever been written. Amen? Amen.